Studios of WORQ in Wisconsin. This is the Stand Up for the Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up for the Truth. Halfway through the month, welcome to a 15th day of August edition of Stand Up for the Truth. Crash Connell here. Going to need your patience and grace today. Got some ill people involved with our podcast today. So uh, lots of spiritual warfare. Keep uh, keep Mary and John in uh, your prayers today. And remember, if you have any feedback, it's always welcome. Add comments at standupforthetruth.com. Email comments at standupforthetruth.com. Hello. It is just really good to be here another day to serve the Lord. Um, my guest is John Haller, and he always has up-to-the-minute headlines and commentary. Really looking forward to that today. There is so much we can cover, so let's just get right to it. Uh, scripture, and then we'll just um, we'll just uh, pray and get moving. So our scripture today is Titus 2, 11-14. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Wow, what a great what a great passage that is. Lord, we are in awe of how you protect and keep us as we await the culmination of all things. Lord, we know you have us working for your kingdom at this hour for a reason. Uh, so we desire to line up our lives with your purposes. Help us keep our eyes on the prize and be sensitive to your spirit um, uh, at all times. Lord, we lift up the program today and our guest, John, as he continues to point people to your soon return, strengthen and enable him for whatever you have for him. Bless Pam, bless the family, in Jesus' name, amen. My guest, again, John Haller, pastor, lawyer, teacher, known for his weekly prophecy updates, a trial lawyer for almost 40 years. John is pastor and elder of Fellowship Bible Chapel. His prophecy updates are available on the Fellowship Bible Chapel FBC YouTube channel. John, the last time you were with us, uh, late June, I remember because Gary Kyle was on a couple days later, and there had been a line of really nasty storms in Indiana and Ohio, and this time now we have Maui has suffered tremendous loss. The globe is cooking under a heat dome. I wonder what's next, John. Should we keep doing this? <laughs> Welcome to Stand Up. I think that it's pretty clear, Mary, that there's something going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally think that the sun is going through a new cycle, and that's what's causing a lot of this. But the response to it has been pretty much complete, total insanity. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I sent you a headline from the Evening Standard newspaper about a week ago in London, actually a week ago today. And it says it's a picture of the earth on fire, and it has some of the major leaders, uh, Biden, G. Modi and um, Sunak, and it just says, who will stop the earth burning? So there's kind of shifting from global warming to global burning. Wow. Wow. And I think that uh, we have this. Um, and, and so the, the narrative is this. We've, we've got to do something about this. And the response is largely just it's it's totally insane because they 
they're cutting back power grids. They're going to renewable resources like solar and wind that that don't operate all the time. Solar and wind operate maybe at most 20% of the time. And you need a continuous baseload power supply, but they're cutting, they're cutting back on uh, coal. They're cutting back on uranium. They're cutting back nuclear plants, which are continuous baseload. And that's why we're having these problems with the power grid and blackouts in a lot of areas. And the, um, and I'll apologize in advance to your people listening. I, uh, was had a, essentially a bad cold. We know what kind of colds we have these days. <clears throat> yeah, right. And I have a coughing problem, so I'm going to mute my thing so I don't okay. uh, bust uh, your your headphones out there okay. occasionally. <laughs> but anyway, so they they're they're taking away the power grid, and then they're and then they're saying, but we need to add things to the power grid. We want everybody to go electric. And there's this push to put in these uh, smart cities uh, that we've heard about. In 15-minute cities, that they will uh, these 15-minute cities where they want to kind of essentially put people into climate lockdowns on a permanent basis. Wow. It's very interesting that in connection with Maui, that Maui and the Hawaiian Islands have a big proposal, and they've had a number of seminars, and they have one coming up in September <coughs> that I believe was supposed to be in Maui, and the thing in Maui. It's to make it into like a 15-minute island. They want to keep people in restricted areas, electric, and that type of thing. But they, again, they add things that need to have power, but they cut back on the power grid. And, I mean, Maui's kind of a unique island. Uh, we've been there a couple times. We've been to Lahaina probably half a dozen times in our life. And it's it's a very interesting island in that parts of the island, uh, so the west part of Maui, a little bit south of Lahaina, they literally get two to four inches of rain a year because the uh, Haleakala, the big volcano there, blocks it. So it's one of the driest, most dramatic desert landscapes you've ever seen in your life. But you go 10 miles away, you go up to Haleakala, and on the other side of Haleakala is a town called Hana, and it's essentially a rainforest. And then in the West Maui Mountains near Lahaina, there's places that get over 300 inches of rain a year. But Lahaina's in a dry area because the the mountains block the natural flow of the uh, moisture. So Lahaina only gets about 13 inches of rain a year. So it, it's it's dry, and it's in, in a very dry period of time now. And they used to have large farms there and then some non-native grasses have grown. So... There's a lot of controversy right now is what, what, what happened in Maui. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we're really in a place where we can know now. There's a lot of speculation. Uh, I personally think at a minimum there were deliberate fires set. This has been a problem with these climate change activists all over the place. When we were in Canada back in May, that was the beginning of the, uh, probably pretty dramatic growth in forest fires, mm-hmm. grass fires in Canada. We actually drove uh, right through one in um, Saskatchewan. And it's pretty, I mean, you can see it, like the one in Saskatchewan, we could see it 30, 40 miles away. Um, but the the saying in Canada is Saskatchewan is so flat that if your kid or dog runs away, you can watch them leave for four days. And so, but we saw it, it, it was, it's pretty dramatic. And, and they're all over the place, particularly in the north of Canada, the north of the populated areas. 
and there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these things. We've been affected. I don't know if you've been affected. We've had kind of at times a very, you can smell the smoke yeah. that's oh, coming yeah. from Canada. Yeah. And it's affected our weather here. And we've had kind of a cloudy, hazy summer. Mm-hmm. But back to Maui. And so in Maui, I think these fires may have been deliberately set. There were three of them. There were actually more of them. Uh, we know the Lahaina fire destroyed several thousand structures. But what a lot of people don't know is just an upcountry up into the, into the mountainous areas. There was another fire, a separate fire that destroyed about 555 structures. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, so the, a lot of people, they're speculating that this was uh, deliberate by the government. It was a directed energy weapon. Um, you know, I, in my early in my legal career, I did handle a lot of fire and explosion cases. And I can tell you that, you know, I, I know people, they say, this will probably make me very unpopular to say, well, look, the cars burned and the houses burned, but the trees are still standing. And that's true. Trees are full of water. That's why they sometimes survive. Uh, now, those trees, like the big banyan tree that's there in Lahaina, it's it's dead. It uh, was smoldering at the base. A lot of times the trees look okay initially, but the, the fire has kind of gone up through them like a chimney and destroyed the interior. So just because the trees are standing does not mean it's a directed energy weapon. And, you know, cars burn because cars have a fuel source. They have a lot of combustible materials in them, plastics and fabrics and that type of thing, and they have a fuel tank full of gasoline. So when a a swift, fast-moving fire comes through like this one, which was moving through town, I'm told, at 80 miles an hour, you can't get ahead of it. You can't get a fire truck there ahead of the fire because fire truck can't drive that fast and and then the other problem is that the water system in maui failed uh they got to the fire hydrants and there was no water pressure and so a lot of people say well this was deliberate because they want to create this smart city they want to sell the property to rich developers and that's been a tension thing in maui for a long time particularly around lahaina you go north of lahaina south lahaina and there's these massive uh, residential condo mansions, that type of thing of people. Lahaina is kind of this old Hawaiian town, but the town was a lot of wood buildings and some of these buildings had been standing for a hundred years and that wood is very dry. And so when a fire comes through like that, that's fast with winds and everything, the, the wood is literally going to explode. Wow. So there's this, um, right now, the death toll is about 100, but it's expected to probably increase by 5 to 10 times. They're estimating the damage around $5.6 billion so far. Did you see something like that yet? Yeah, the, the damage is, is it's, in, it's in the billions easily. Because Biden sent um, like millions, and they said the math is about $700, per, $700 per affected person so far. Yeah, I mean, I think we need to be a little bit gracious that this is a massive disaster and so that the infrastructure is gone, the electricity grid is gone, the cell phone towers are gone, and it's hard to communicate and it's hard to get in there. But I'm also concerned, I see, uh, I saw on Fox this morning, there was a reporter, I think who's from Maui, he went there and they're not letting him in and they're like, well, if you get in there, you're not allowed to report. And so I'm like, what, why are they doing this? And the concern is that the schools, because of fires in the area, had closed down. 
so that there were a lot of children home alone. And so they're expecting that there could be hundreds of children dead in these homes. And there's nothing left. I mean, there there's one lady I saw an interview with her last night. She had lost four relatives that, that were sitting in a car. They were just burned to death. And there's nothing left to identify them with except maybe a few bits of teeth and that type of thing. Mm. It, it, it's on a it's on a scale that is pretty hard to imagine. I've been reading the Maui and Honolulu papers and looking at some of the reports. It's it's devastating. The one thing I remember when we went to Maui, this is almost forty years ago, the first time, was that because it's in the tropics, uh, and we've noticed noticed this a couple other tropical places that we've gone, is they don't bury the water lines, if they bury them, they don't bury, bury them very far. In a lot of places, they're plastic uh, or PVC pipe, and they're laying on top of the ground. Well, what happened was when this quick fire went through was that it just um, it, it, it melted the water lines and it depressurized the system. So when the fire department got to the – you need pressure in the system for the fire hydrants to operate – there was no water pressure, and they just got a trickle, and they, they couldn't do anything. So it was like the perfect storm. So whether it's deliberate or not, I think that's still an open debate, but certainly it's just a devastating thing. But now, related to Bible prophecy, that's what really I talk about a lot. We know that in the end times, there's this revelation talks about a great heat and, and drought and uh, the sun burning and everything like that. And and the question is, when do we get to that period? Uh, you know, when, when, how do we get to that period? And the, uh, and the answer is we don't know exactly when all of that starts. We know that there's a buildup to it. I know last week you had on Patrick Wood, and I've heard some recent, I didn't hear that interview, but I've heard a recent interview with Patrick, by the way. Pray for him. He, he did have a stroke. He is recovering. I hear that he is talking some. Uh, which is a dramatic improvement <clears throat> over the initial part of the of the results of the stroke. But I think he made a good point on one of the interviews I heard of him recently is that we know, like, for example, there's this beast system that's coming. There's this total control, economic mark of the beast. You won't be able to buy or sell with it. And I also, I think I made this point in my update on Sunday, building on what Patrick had said, is that, when this event that Jesus referred to is kind of central to this end times Bible prophecy thing, the abomination of desolation uh, takes place, it the the Antichrist and false prophet who are working together at that time, they they don't commit that event and then sit around and say, okay, well, you know, is there anything we could do or create uh, to kind of control everything? The system's in place. There's, there's no, there's really no delay between that abomination of the vent and the rolling out of this mark of the beast system. So all of that infrastructure is going to be in place. So it's going to unfold very quickly. I think the same thing happens with regard to the heat and change, what appears to be a change in the sun cycle. In that, in that change that takes place, it, it happens. It, the, the thing I've mentioned in Bible prophecy sometimes is that these things happen. There was a quote in a Hemingway novel. How did you go bankrupt? Uh, it's one of the characters in, a, in one of Hemingway's novels. Actually, another one. He says, well, I went bankrupt in two ways, gradually then suddenly. 
Mary Danielson visiting with, with John Haller today, Stand Up For The Truth and StandUpForTheTruth.com, available on all your podcast feeders. And we usually get the uh, podcast up, usually right around 1030 Central Time. He's talking about uh, Bible prophecy. I just want to make sure that we're not doing this thing they call uh, recency bias. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, okay, the Bible says this, and we see what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Chicken or the egg. Yeah, I think we're seeing patterns. I, th- I think if, if even if we just sit back and say nothing, I think we're seeing an awful lot of patterns, um, especially with the heat. I was uh, watching the news the other day, and there was a gentleman. He's talking about Phoenix, Arizona. It's always hot in Phoenix this time of year, always, mm-hmm. always, always. But it's going on and on and on, and they're saying another three weeks for sure. It's been five weeks already, 110, 115 degrees. And they had a gentleman with a... Um, a, a thermometer, and he was going around, and he was saying, "This is how hot it is on a children's slide. It's 158 degrees on on your pet's paws. It's 148." And he was measuring the heat, and how impossible it is is even to live there. You can't go outside, kind of like in January here. You can't even go outside. Um, and he was, and also heat domes. I was going to ask John about this. Heat domes over Europe, over the U.S., over the Middle East. The numbers are unbelievable. It is way hotter. Sometimes we're cynical up here. Well, it's summer. <clears throat> it's always hot. In 1980, I have a T-shirt in my uh, in storage. It says, "I survived the heat wave of 1980." Mm. It was bad, yeah. And there was, of course, nobody was talking about climate change or global warming back in in, in those days. But yeah, um, there were people dying in nursing homes yeah. because the electric mm-hmm. grid couldn't uh, keep up with the electricity for the fans. Uh, you were mentioning the global warming, everything. Yeah. I was going to mention there's been a big heat dome in the yeah. Middle East. Yeah, for we were talking about that. that. Yeah. yeah. What 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 yeah. are the numbers, John? It, in uh, Iran along the Persian Gulf, they were having heat indexes of 158 degrees. Yeah. Now I've I've been in heat indexes of 100. And, well, temperature of 121, and it's it's almost impossible to survive. So I can't imagine. 37 degrees higher. These are some of the highest heat indexes ever recorded in human history. It's uh, it's it's just absolutely incredible. Yeah, something's going on, it seems to me. Now, it's a little cooler here than usual. We, this is not our hottest summer at all, but it uh, I think it, it's varying. Some places are hotter than ever, and some places are quite a bit cooler. Is that what you've heard? Yeah, it's, it, it is a very – it's been a very dramatic um, – a uh, year for for heat, yeah. Yeah. so it appears that something is going on, and of course the globalists and everything. This is all part of this agenda that everybody is a pushing. You have uh, King Charles who came out with his Terra Carta thing last year. A lot of people don't even know about that. You ought to go look up his website where he talks about we need to control the climate, we need to do all of these things, and it's pretty. There's just this agenda. There's big meetings planned this year. Uh, they also have a thing uh, next year at the UN called the Plan for the Future. They have some big UN meetings coming up here just next month. So they're they're going to take these disasters and they're going to use them for whatever they can. John, I uh, want to uh, switch gears a little bit. Uh, I want to go into Israel because you had talked about um, we want to talk about Israel and not wait for the end because then we never get right. it done. So if we could maybe just get started about what's going on in Lebanon, Syria, and Iran, what's the significance of the pot boiler that's going on? And speaking of heat, <laughs> the pot boiler that's going on in the northern border. And then Saudi Arabia, Newsmax last week said, oh, they've reached this great peace deal and there's going to be a Palestinian state. And people said, hey, Newsmax, back off. That is not what happened. 
So what in the world is going on between Lebanon, Syria, and Iran? What, what should we make of that? Well, let's talk about the north, too, because, you know, biblically, trouble always comes from the north. Uh, that's, and we know in the end times, there are these prophecies of Ezekiel 38 and 39. There's a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 17. Uh, there's some that believe that uh, Psalm 83, which describes the, at least the condition, the anti-Israel condition of the countries surrounding them, uh, that seem to line up with a lot of the countries that are coming into this um, Abraham Accords coalition. But in any event, we know that there are going to be these wars in the end times. Uh, Israel right now is uh, looking at a a big concern with what's going on in the north. Hezbollah has been very active. Um, They're in a proxy of the Iranian government. (coughs) Hezbollah has been uh, building. They actually put some facilities on the Israeli side of the border across what's called the Blue Line. That's kind of the compromise border that was entered after the second Lebanon war 17 years ago. In fact, we just had the anniversary of that war just a couple days ago. So Hezbollah, they put some tents and they sort of dared Israel to do something about them. Uh, Israel's made, uh, probably <coughs> 80 or 90 attacks into Syrian territory mm-hmm. to destroy Lebanese uh, or Iranian facilities there that are designed to manufacture missiles. Netanyahu's talked about this a lot during his prior administrations, that this was a, a thing that was coming. The question is, how are they going to be prepared for this? Uh, Hezbollah probably has somewhere around a quarter of a million rockets. Uh, they also have an incredibly high number of launchers, and these rockets are all put into neighborhoods. They're using civilians as shields for their uh, the shenanigans that they're trying to undertake. If you remember Qassam Soleimani, mm-hmm. who was killed in that strike uh, about three and a half years ago uh, during the Trump administration, uh, they just had a lot of things in the Lebanese papers this week about, oh, we praise the great martyr Qassam Soleimani. And if you go back and you look at what Soleimani said, like in 2019 before he was killed, he said, we need to use the civilians as shields. I mean, he actually came out and said that. So the Iranians are doing this through their full of proxies, through the Syrian army. And so Israel sort of does these strikes every now and then. They just did one around Damascus the right. other day. Uh, there's also big weapons facilities, uh, chemical weapons facilities that uh, an organization called Alma Research. Uh, you can go to Israel-Alma.org and you can get their findings that they publish. They do a great job of covering what's going on in the north. The problem is if this war starts, there's going to be tens of thousands of rockets launched into Israel from the north. And the question is, is Israel ready to handle that? I think they're about as ready as they can be. The problem is that the system will be overwhelmed. They have Iron Dome. They're developing some laser technology, but that's probably at least a year away at best from being rolled out. What they have to do is they they have to prepare their people. The Israeli Air Force uh, head came out in a conference about six years ago and said that when another Lebanon war comes – it's going to be shock and awe like you've never seen. The Israeli Defense Force uh, head last week, Galant, said that if something goes, we have to attack Hezbollah, southern Lebanon will be 
turn back to the Stone Age. Yesterday, Nasrallah, the head of Hezbollah, gave a speech in, Be- well, wherever he is. He lives in a bunker. He never really surfaces above the ground that much. But he said in that speech, well, we'll bomb Israel to the Stone Age. Mm-hmm. So there is this back and forth, and there's this kind of this dance. It's like nobody wants to finish the job. Uh, my friend Jonathan Spire wrote Friday in the Jerusalem Post that this is causing Israel some problems because people are wondering, like, are you guys really serious about handling this Hezbollah problem? <laughs> Iran misinterprets everything that happens. Right. And uh, they they always they spin it their way. You can look at their papers and, you know, and Nasrallah spins it his way. But it's a big problem. And I uh, I know we have a break coming up, but I think I can get this in before our break. The the problem right now is with the judicial reform situation in Israel. There are a substantial number of reserve officers and Israel relies greatly on reserve officers showing up when they're called off of reserve duty. But they're, I, it's hard to separate the propaganda from the left in Israel that opposes judicial reform from what's actually going on. But a former Israeli defense force posted a spokesperson, Peter Lerner, who's opposed to the judicial reform. He posted a thing the other day saying, you know, here's 170 officers who are not going to show up. And that would have a dramatic impact on Israel's ability to defend itself in the event of war if they did not show up. So it just increases the tension. It seems to increase the likelihood that some of those things, that some of these things are going to happen. All right. This is Standing for the Truth. We're talking to John Haller. We're going to take a break here. We've talked about uh, the long, hot summer in Maui so far. We've talked about Israel, what's going on in the north. We need to talk about the American and Saudi negotiations. What in the world is going on with that? Running hot and cold also. We're talking about temperatures. So uh, we'll be back after these uh after these, uh, our sponsors, and sorry, went brain dead there. Uh, stay with us for the second half with John Haller. Your prayers and ongoing financial support keep our truth at any cost mission strong. Standupforthetruth.com. Welcome back to Stand Up for the Truth. We are talking with John Haller today. And uh, we've been talking about uh, Maui, and he's got a lot of great insights on that. In case you missed the first half, go back and catch the podcast. Um, and then also we've been talking about Israel and what's going on in the north. John, I want to ask you about this deal with the Americans and Saudis. It's, they've been chatting about it for months. Uh, it seems to be all of a sudden now they're not chatting about it. And uh, Carolyn Glick had a great article, and she says, China is the focus of U.S. demands from the Saudis. U.S. President Biden's advisors have presented economic, technological, and military demands to the Saudis relating to their burgeoning ties with China. John, can you help us sort that out? Because, boy, if you don't have a program, you can't tell who's playing ball. Well, you know, it's interesting. I don't know how much background you want on this, but because uh, I've talked a lot about it, over the, particularly over the past year. So let me back up. There's been this back and forth between Israel and Saudi Arabia for a number of years now. It started under the uh, Trump administration. Um, Jared Kushner, who was the sort of the driving force behind Trump's vision for peace that came out in 2020. He has a very close relationship with Saudi Arabia. If you remember Trump's first foreign visit, when he became president back in 2017, he went to Saudi Arabia and then to Israel. So this has been sort of a big thing in the administration. The tension has been that the 
Biden, the Obama administration, and now the what I call Obama's third term mm-hmm. or the Biden administration <laughs> yes. has been very pro-Iranian. And I think it's pretty clear that Joe Biden's not running anything. I mean, he he's not competent to do that. And there was that very famous uh, discussion between uh, Stephen Colbert and Obama a few years ago, like, well, would you like a third term? And he goes, well, you know, if I could just continue with, uh, you know, I could sit in my basement and just speak yeah. into somebody's ears. That would be a great thing. Well, he to said do. he wasn't going anywhere. He actually said that. I heard him say that. Yeah. So, um, and so he's been around. I mean, he, it's unusual that he's a president that bought a mansion in uh, one of his mansions that he's bought. I think he has them in Hawaii and, and Martha's Vineyard. He has a big one in Washington, D.C. And you remember at the end of his administration, he had set up this thing of uh, organization of activists. So he's very active. The pro-Iranian bent of the State Department uh, that was under the first two Obama administrations has continued. What what Biden is doing is he's trying to balance Saudi Arabia, which is important in the region. It's a big country. The Saudi family is the wealthiest family on the planet. Uh, there's a big article in a sort of a left-leaning uh, publication out of the U.K., called the new statesman just today that says saudi arabia is buying the world (laughs) and when you look at some of the things that saudi arabia they're they're very big behind this esg environmental social and governments uh they've pushed that through one of their big think tank where they have a think tank conference it's one of the three big conferences in the world three or four one of the three or four biggest conferences in the world and they're you know they're they're investing in soccer uh, they made an offer to a soccer player where he would have gotten about $700 million for one season. Uh, one of the big soccer stars, mm-hmm. they've essentially started a competing golf tour that's been very disruptive. So they're trying to get everything. And then Mohammed bin Salman himself, he's building uh, this city called Biom. It's actually under construction. They're making pretty good progress on it. You can follow it online. Uh, it's pretty amazing. And that's going to be like a smart city, a hundred and re- roughly a hundred mile long city through the Saudi desert. Everything's going to be within a walk. It's an uh, amazing thing. He's always building a big building in the middle of Riyadh. Uh, and all of them are going to be like 1500 feet tall, which is kind of an interesting number that he's chosen for these. Uh, this thing in Riyadh is called the New Maraba. So uh, Jared Kushner has also put together uh, an investment fund, um, and he's gotten probably $3 billion from the Saudi uh, Sovereign Wealth Fund to invest, and they gave him permission to invest. They gave him permission to invest the money in Israel, in Israel a part of it. So there's all this thing going on, and now, but because the Biden administration is kind of withdrawn from the Middle East, there was the debacle in Afghanistan, mm-hmm. people don't trust the United States. Uh, they don't like the way things is going in Ukraine. And, and so they're, and now Saudi Arabia says, well, we need protection against Iran. They've entered into a normalization agreement with Iran, which isn't good for the region. And now they're also reaching out to China. Uh, so the Biden administration is coming in. They're trying to balance their pro-Iranian bent with also sort of keeping relations with the Saudis. About a year ago, there was uh, proposals that came out that we believe were related to the with the approval of Mohammed bin Salman 
that they would create this Hashemite kingdom of Jordan where they put would sort of put the Palestinians with the Jordanians. The Jordanians don't like that. They don't want anything to do with the Palestinians. They withdrew from that back in the in the sixties. Uh, they kicked the Palestinians, the Palestinian leadership out of Jordan, the famous Black September massacre that took place. Mm-hmm. But there's this people are trying to get this something done. They want to get this peace agreement. And the Saudis right now are demanding that Israel kind of come in and make a agreement with the Palestinian. They, Israel has to do something with the Palestinians. They have to make concessions to the Palestinians. Netanyahu says, no way. We're never going to do that. Right. As a practical matter, a Palestinian state in Judea and Samaria would be incredibly destabilizing to Israel. We know what happened back in 2005 when Israel withdrew from Gaza under a lot of pressure from the Bush administration at the time. The Jewish communities in Gaza, everybody was forced out. They sent Israeli soldiers in there to drag Jewish people out of Gaza and resettle them somewhere else. Gaza's been a problem ever since. So imagine doing that in Judea and Samaria, very close to Ben-Gurion Airport, Jerusalem, and other cities. It would be a massive, colossal foreign policy mistake. Now, I personally think that the Saudis, the younger generation of leadership in the Saudi government, Saudi Saudi royal family, is a little bit upset with the Palestinians. They view them as a problem. So that uh, Mohammed, but but the king, who's still alive, he's in his late 80s now. He suffers, it's pretty clear, he suffers from dementia. But he's very pro-Palestinian. He has always been pro-Palestinian. And the research I've done has indicated that Mohammed bin Salman is not going to change anything on that particular issue until the king passes away. Now, it may it may not change, but it also it may change. The other thing that you've seen coming out of some of the Saudi press. People call us and they say, what can we pray for you? And we go like the spiritual warfare. Especially when John Haller is on. But, yeah, we're getting a little of that crackling noise going on here. I'm wondering uh, that we're visiting with John Haller here on Stand Up for the Truth. Yeah, I was really shocked about a week ago, Newsmax said, uh, we have breaking news. Um, there's been a peace deal with between Saudi and Israel. And uh, I think the gist of it was there's going to be a Palestinian state. And then one other thing they added to it. And I looked at it and I said, I watched the video of the report and I thought, where are they getting this? I said, Tim, have you heard this from any other source? This was a week ago. I mean, I don't know. They've completely discredited themselves as far as I can tell because that's, why would an outlet Newsmax? say that? Newsmax. Yes. Yeah, Mary, you're right. I saw the Newsmax report. Oh, you did? Okay. And, and I, a lot of the people, I didn't play it on Sunday because I, I didn't feel comfortable with it. I tried to vet these things and it was kind of a one-off. And so when I see it's just like one group out there, one channel talking about it, I'm a little bit skeptical. And it said, like, oh, this agreement's ready to go. Now, there was a report in the Wall Street Journal a week ago that said that they were very close. They were making great progress on an agreement. But then once that hit the Wall Street, Biden administration came out and said, no, no, not so fast. Mm -hmm. Israel said, yeah, we're making great progress. So I don't know what kind of progress they're making. They're talking. I I personally just don't think that anything significant is going to happen until the king passes away. Then things may go very quickly. I will also say that with regard to the Temple Mount, 
there has been things in the Saudi press, and things don't get in the Saudi press unless somebody up top signs off on them. And Mohammed bin Salman has, I think, allowed this to be put out there that, you know, really we Muslims, the theory is that Mohammed did his night journey from the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, where the mosque, or not the mosque of Omar, but the Dome of the Rock is. It's a shrine. But now there's been stuff coming out in the press, and this has been through the Israeli press and scholars and everything for 20 years or more, that that that's not the farthest mosque that this that the muslims don't really have a religious claim on the temple mount now because they possessed it they'll claim that they have a, that but there have even been proposals to modify the dome of the rock as a house for all nations there's been a number of proposals there was a member israeli a Likud member of the knesset came out and said we ought to divide the temple mount between the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock, give the Dome of the Rock part to allow the Jews to build their temple there. (coughs) And we know that there's this temple coming. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like, how quickly it will be built. We know that uh, at least among the religious uh, Orthodox Jews in Israel that want to build a temple, that they need the ashes of the red heifer to conduct ritual, uh, ritual purification ceremonies. But right now they have four or five red heifers that are approaching the age of two that seem to qualify as a red heifer. They can only, I think they're allowed to have two white hairs uh, on their body. And right now there are four or five of them that seem to qualify. They're wow. putting some, one or two of them up at Shiloh, and they're expecting one or two million people to come to Shiloh to see these red heifers each year. Mm. So... There's just a lot of things going on in that space. So I think things will change when the Saudi king passes. Okay. How much they will, I don't know. But I think um, everybody talks about the peace agreement. They talk about the coming temple and everything. And so we have a tendency sometimes this is what would happen in the practice of law when you're working on a case is you have a conclusion that you reach or something that Mm -hmm. you're trying to prove. And then everything you read proves your point. And I think we need to be very careful about how we analyze that. So I think the Newsmax thing got a little bit out ahead of itself. Does Saudi actually recognize Israel's right to exist? Where are they at with that? They have not formally done Uh, that. Uh, But they've made some concessions. I mean, they're allowing Saudi or uh, Israeli commercial overflights of Saudi territory. And the question will be, look, if Israel's going to do anything with Iran, about the only way they can do it, they would have to go from basis in Azerbaijan up in that region. And the Azerbaijan government has come out and said, there's no way we're going to do that because there's a lot of tension between Azerbaijan and Iran right now. So they're saying, we're not going to allow Israel to do that. So the un- only other solution is to go all the way around the Arabian Peninsula or over Saudi Arabia. Okay. They don't really, I think, have the refueling capacity that they would need for a long-range attack like that um they they don't have the refuelers we don't have the refuelers and we're not allowing them to uh they we told them you can have refuelers but it's going to be like 2026 2027 before you get any all right Uh, because we're way behind on replacing our aging refueling Mm. tank our refueling tanking fleet in our air force so it's a very complex situation 
but I think it will eventually work out where there will be a normalization between Saudi Arabia and Israel. Very interesting. Uh, And that will be incredibly significant, but that would include Saudi Arabia recognizing Israel as a country for the first time. That has not happened. Saudi Arabia also sent what they call a non-residential ambassador to the Palestinian people last week, which is a very unusual move. It won't, they won't go to Ramallah. They won't go into Israel. They will work from Saudi Arabia, but they can only get into Israel if Israel approves. And Israel's not going to approve that because of the Palestinian issue. So there's a lot of problems in Israel with terrorism and that type of thing. And it's a very tense situation. The judicial reform legislation is leading. There's been protests now for probably 35 weeks in a row. Uh, some large, I think Caroline Glick said that the protests range in size from 8,000 to 5 billion people each week, uh, depending on, you know, what press is reporting on it. And it, it is, it's been disruptive to Israeli society. The tech companies have come out and said, we don't want the judicial reform. Uh, even the, some of the financial rating agencies have come out and threatened to cut Israel's bond credit rating. Uh, that hasn't happened yet, but they're yeah. saying, well, if this judicial reform goes through, this is, this is going to happen. Well, it's, it's a massive problem. Some of the same things that are going on in Israel are the same things that are going on here in the United States. There's been a weaponization of the justice system against political opponents. You're listening to Stand Up for the Truth with John Haller. I want to ask you about these attacks on free speech and such because Nigel Farage, who was debanked um, by a very, very large bank, he says that credit agencies are putting into place word checks on customers' social media accounts and nearly one million UK accounts have been shut down in the past four years. So, John, continue your train of thought on that. Let's go to some of this attacks on free speech. Well, I just heard of a ministry the other day who opened an account. It was a 501c4, which is a political organization that you can donate to. And I can't remember the name of it. They had opened an account at J.P. Morgan. And then they went down to J.P. Morgan to deposit a check. Or they got to notice your account is closed. And you'll get your money back in a couple weeks when we get around to it. (laughs) And they're like, wait a minute. We have all our accounts set up, our payment system set up, and that type of thing. And J.P. Morgan apparently demanded, well, we need to see your donor list and we need to see who's giving the most money to you to see if they need approval. So Nigel Farage was banked in a fairly big scandal by a big one of the major banks in the U.K. The CEO of that company has resigned in response. They asked people, they set up a website, if you had problems with the bank. And there were thousands and thousands of people that called in and or wrote in or posted on the, the website. And now they've gone to the place where there is, um, they estimate that a million people's accounts have been affected. A million accounts have been affected in the UK. It's, it's shocking. So they're, they're weaponizing the banking system, mm-hmm. the commercial system. Mm-hmm. And, and, and when you look at like, for example, with Prince Charles and his Terracotta organization, they have a thing that's part of that called the Sustainable Markets Initiative. The head of the Sustainable Markets Initiative is the CEO of Bank of America here in the United States. And so there's been this concern in the conservative community that if you speak out the truth on climate change, if you go anything against the approved narrative, you're going to have banking problems. 
We've seen that with some pro-life organizations in this country. I just saw a report this morning that in Quebec, a major pro-life organization had rented a public government-controlled facility in Quebec for a conference that's starting in uh, in September. So if just weeks before this happens, the Quebec government says, you're not allowed to use our building because of your pro-life views. Mm. And we see, we see these young men who have been out reading scripture on public streets right. in Watertown, Wisconsin was one. And I think there was another one, I can't remember, I think maybe Toledo just recently, where they're getting arrested. And this is clearly improper. We know that the Biden administration has set up this arrangement with the tech companies to censure views that they don't agree with. Right. Where's that uh, at? Where I, is that at, John, in the courts? Isn't that uh, in the courts at the moment? Or where, where are we at with that? There was a there was a case filed, and the judge issued. I think it was down in Louisiana. Issued a preliminary injunction shutting down the government. The government, because you're allowed to appeal an injunction right away, the government appealed that to the Fifth Circuit. The Fifth Circuit held a hearing just last week, <coughs> and the the judges. You can you can go to the Fifth Circuit website. It's uh, Missouri versus the U.S. I think is the name of the case. Uh, Fifth Circuit website will have a, a the audio, and it's about an hour and a half, and it's kind of interesting to listen to, but the judges were sort of indicating. Now, we don't know if they're going to rule in favor of the attorney generals who brought the case against the federal government, but the court essentially said this sounds like the mafia. You know, like, mm-hmm. you do this, you comply with what we want or else. Well, and I can't believe that they would debank a high-profile person. I mean, if you, if you want to um, shut people up, I'm so surprised that, that they are just not, they don't even care what people think anymore about these things, the woke policies, et cetera, et cetera. They make no bones about if you, like they're saying, uh, Nigel Farage was racist, xenophobic, pro-Brexit, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then those that debanked him actually did get fired. So maybe there's some, some kind of hope here. But, you know, are we really going to, just for having certain views, just not be allowed to even spend a dime? I th- that's where we're going, right? I mean, it's, it's biblical as far as revelation goes. And, and is that, that's the end game. Wouldn't it, wouldn't that be it, John? We got about three minutes. System of total control is what they're trying to put right, in place. Right. And we saw through the pandemic that this was a big thing. For example, there was a certain drug that, I don't even know if I should talk about this, but there was a certain drug that, some doctors wanted to prescribe for their patients. It's one of the most prescribed drugs in the world. I think we all know what we're talking about. In a court hearing recently, the federal government, the FDA attorney admitted, well, it would be okay for doctors to prescribe that drug for the Charlie Vector 019er condition. Well, thank you very much, John Howler. Yeah, thanks, John. <laughs> I hope you feel better soon. Oh, there was a few other things to, to get to. I know that um, he, he talked about uh, Dr. Miriam Grossman. She wrote a book called Lost in Transnation, and it's being banned by booksellers. Um, just want to put that bee in your bonnet because she's talking about what is happening with the medical establishment succumbing to this gender madness. Uh, so there's quite a bit out there on her. She's on Rumble um, with Steve Bannon. And so if, if you're interested in that particular subject, we did not get to that. But I would look into Dr. Miriam Grossman. Lost in Transnation, uh, another thing, because school is coming back in, and um, kids are going to be subjected to so much indoctrination uh, if some of them are already in school, and it's just, uh, wow, perilous times for so 
many of us uh, coming up. And um, let's see. I think he's texting me here. All right. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yes, it's okay. It's okay, John. Yeah. <laughs> He's texting. Wow. It uh, well, just be praying for Santa for the truth because uh, we, we we can't rule out uh, a spiritual warfare on this. And of course, John's having some health issues, and Mary uh, is is struggling with some stuff. You got through it here. And we got some uh, good guests coming up on Stand Up at the Truth. Who's on the yes, calendar? Yes, on Thursday, Trisha Burton with the Brian Call. She is a fifth generation Mormon who got saved. By the grace of Jesus Christ. And we are going to talk about Mormonism with her. I'm really looking forward to talking to Tricia. And then Jeff Wiegand on Friday. He uh, attends Calvary Chapel Madison. He is a Dane County supervisor. He's the only conservative in the 38-member staff. So we're looking forward to Jeff Wiegand on Friday. Um, and, you know, we've got some great podcast guests over the decades. Um, go to our website, Stand Up For The Truth, and you can click on guests and scroll, scroll through, find out who you like, and... Um, um, share the podcast. So, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And it's a repeat broadcast tomorrow with Alyssa Childers on com.